Good morning. Grab your Bibles. We're in Philippians again. Philippians chapter 4. We'll be in verses 2 through 9 today. We're continuing our series entitled No Matter What. And the idea behind this series, as we've been looking at the broader theme of the book of Philippians, is that we can have joy no matter what we may face, no matter what may come our way, as Paul is writing to a group of people who are facing their own challenges, their own concerns, um, that, that, that the Lord's peace and the Lord's joy would be upon them. In fact, today's emphasis is going to be upon peace. And even when we may feel anxious, we can have the peace of the Lord. And we're going to learn that from our text today. So I want us to jump right into the text. We're going to be in verses 2 through 9. In Philippians chapter 4, so why don't you stand with me please, let's read this together. The Apostle Paul is writing, and here are his words. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the peace of, of and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Lord, today we pray for your peace. You know we live in a day and a time and a world in which peace seems to elude so many people. And yet you have promised your people. You've promised Christians, followers of Christ, you've promised us your peace. And Lord, there may be those, even this day, who've walked into this building, or maybe who've tuned in to us through our internet ministry, who are not experiencing your peace, but they're filled with all kinds of anxiety. But Lord, I believe you have a message for them. And I pray that they would receive it, knowing that you desire for them to experience your peace, to know your peace. And so, Lord, we pray that your word will come alive today and you will speak into the depths of our souls, especially for those of us whose hearts are racked by anxiety. Encourage us, we pray, with these words. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, I, I believe I'm not much of an anxious person. If you're around me, I, I tend to have a, a pretty even-keeled set of emotions one way or the other. I, I have my moments like most people. We all have those moments. But in general, I'm not overly anxious as an individual. But there have been a few moments in my life 
where I was sitting on the edge of my seat, where I was a little bit overwhelmed with anxiety, and perhaps at the top of the list is tied to this particular day. You know, today is the 21st anniversary of those terrorist attacks that happened in New York City and in Pennsylvania when airplanes flew into the World Trade Center and into Washington, D.C. as well, in the Pentagon. And we all have our stories. We could take uh, several hours, for those of you who are uh, old enough and alive and old enough in those days, to tell about where you were and what happened to you and all the emotions and experiences um, that were related to, to that. Uh, that, that particular event, for those of us who lived through it, it's one of those defining moments for our society, for our culture, really for the world. And when you go through one of these, these life-defining moments, you, you can actually take yourself out of this moment and go right back to that moment. Am I right about that? I, I know many of you have heard our, my story in particular, how I was away uh, on a mission trip in Poland. I know there are some folks that may not be here. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I do want to retell the emotions that I was experiencing in the opening uh, minutes of that tragedy because on this mission trip we had spent some time doing ministry that day and we had gone into a small little community in Poland known as Pershina, not far uh, outside of the city of Krakow. And uh, we were going to take a little bit of time. It was a beautiful little city, by the way, uh, very quaint out in the countryside. There was a, a little bit of a plaza in the downtown area, very peaceful and serene uh, scene. I remember the, us unloading off of the bus, uh, off of our vans. And uh, as you stepped into the plaza, this beautiful uh, European plaza, uh, there was music, just, you know, cultural music playing, uh, very peaceful scene. We were going to do a little bit of shopping in, uh, in the little town before we, we had lunch and then went on our way, and we walked into a money exchange office. We were going to exchange some American dollars for uh, some of the local currency, and uh, there was a man that was behind the glass and we were dealing with who didn't really speak much English. As we were handing over our U.S. dollars, he understood that we were Americans, and he simply said, World Trade Center on fire. That's what he said to us in, in his broken uh, English, and we sort of remarked over that, well, that's interesting. He turned. It, he had a little TV sitting on his counter. He, he turned it around, and we could see the World Trade Center and some smoke coming out of it, but we were under the assumption it was one of those little small airplanes. We walked back out into the streets, stopped a, a, for a few more minutes, and then made our way over to this restaurant. And when we walked in the restaurant, that's when the world began to change for us because in the restaurant, they actually had satellite television uh, in the w lobby area, and fellow, my fellow pastors were on this mission trip, we all stepped into the room and to look up and to see the reports coming out of, um, out of the United States. And I will tell you, uh, my heart dropped. I didn't know it, you didn't know it at those moments, but our world changed, right? Our world is different following those, those moments. Um, knowing what was going on, my immediate thoughts went back to home. At that moment, it was just Jennifer and myself, and Leah was our only child, and um, I was very concerned, because that you, you, those of you who walked through those days, you know that they were saying that, you know, we had had two or three planes that already uh, uh, had crashed. There was another plane possibly have gone down in Pennsylvania, um, but there could be dozens and dozens of other planes up in the air, uh, possible other terrorist attacks that could take place. And uh, so my thoughts were immediately, you know, I, I, I go into daddy mode and husband mode. I want to know that my family is okay. And so I immediately left the restaurant, and I was going to go find a, a local public telephone, uh, and, and I was going to call back home. 
And when I stepped back into that plaza, the plaza that was so serene and so beautiful and, and, and so peaceful in that moment, uh, the music was gone and you could hear in, in Polish uh, a newscaster over the radio beginning to explain what was going on. I couldn't understand all, any of the words except I heard the words United States and Georgia Busha. I heard that, right? And, and, and I knew things were different and I, I tried desperately to call home and I could not get through because uh, as was happening here, it was happening internationally, the, the phone systems just got jammed with people calling and checking on their loved ones. And when I could not get, get through to her, uh, to Jennifer, uh, this, this anxiety settled onto my heart and, and it took several days for it to let go. Anybody experience something like that during those days or maybe on, on another occasion? You know, there's lots of anxiety in this world, and we live in a fallen world. It's broken, it's sin-wracked, this world, and because of that, bad things happen. And there are potential, p- potential things that, could, uh, can, b- that we could experience that can cause anxiety to build up in our hearts and our minds because we don't know what the, the future may hold, and we feel out of control, and, and we can't affect any kind of change, and so that anxiety gets a hold of us. And so this world is filled with anxious moments. In fact, it seems that there's far more anxiety in this world than there is peace these days. You know, most of us think that peace is what happens when there's the absence of conflict or problems. If we can just get rid of those, you know, that conflict, get rid of those problems, then we're going to have some peace in our lives. If I could just get rid of that job that I don't like, then there'll be peace. If I could get rid of my bills, there'd be peace. Lord, if my kids would just move out, there would be peace. Can I get an amen? If I could get rid of my husband, I could have peace. If we could get rid of of a certain elected official, then finally we would have peace. You know, peace doesn't come by getting rid of the the stressors of our lives. That's not how it happens. Peace comes by thinking upon that which God wants us to think about. Because the stressors are not going to go away. Peace doesn't come in the absence of the storm, it comes in the presence of the storm if, you, if the God of peace is with you. Because there we find Jesus walking with us and we've got our eyes on him. So having peace, it's the, it's the key to experiencing this broader theme of the book of Philippians. Having peace is, is important, it's key to experience joy no matter what. Because it's truly hard to have joy in the Lord when you're not experiencing His peace. So how do we have peace and how do we have joy when our spirits are troubled, when we're anxious, when anxiety is weighing down upon us? Well, I believe this particular portion of the book of Philippians is going to clue us in on how we can have that kind of peace. For, for in it, Paul's going to give us three challenges I want to articulate for you today. So if we're going to have peace no matter what, Here is the first of three that I want you to to, to make note of, and that is this. Pursue unity. Pursue unity. Now, we're going to see this passage of Scripture broken up in a couple of sections. Uh, The first couple of verses, verses 2 and 3, really could could be its own little section or little message, but uh, it's going to be dealing with some relationship struggles and lack of agreement among believers. We're going to tie it into this broader discussion of peace. And so the first key... To, to experiencing peace no what, matter what is to pursue unity. Pursue unity. So how do we do that? 
Well, in a couple of ways. One, it comes by agreeing with one another. As believers in Christ, we should be on the same page. So by agreeing with one another. And the reason for that is that so much disagreement is at the heart of so much of our anxiety. Paul refers to a problem that was existing between a couple of believers in the church of of Philippians. You'll see it there in verse 2 when he says this, I entreat Yodia and and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Here's why we know that the Philippian church was a Baptist church because there were a couple of people that didn't get along, all right? We have a couple of individuals here, Yodia and Syntyche. We don't know the circumstances uh, behind their disagreement. We just know that they're a part of this church, and apparently they have entered into some kind of dispute that is unresolved. Paul doesn't tell us what the problem is. He doesn't reveal it to us. But whatever it was, Paul says, you guys need to deal with it. You need to take care of it. Whatever it is, it's, it's likely negatively impacting this local congregation. And you'll notice that Paul doesn't choose sides here. He just tells them what they need to do, get it resolved. Quit this nonsense and get on the same page. And the very best approach to getting it resolved is really to come to some kind of terms of agreement. That's which Paul tells them. He tells them to agree in the Lord. This word agree is a very strong Pauline word. And it means to to think upon something, to to hold an opinion or form an opinion, to set your mind on something. And so the big idea here is that they be in agreement in their hearts and in their mind, to live in harmony. It's the same kind of idea that that Paul was getting to back in chapter 2, verse 2, when he said, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And when I think about being in agreement, uh, I, I, I think a wonderful example of this, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Blue Angels, the, 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 the Naval uh, Precision Flying Team. I mean, these jets are flying by at hundreds of miles per hour, and they do some incredible stunts. It'd be incredible if you were just watching one of them, but they would often form formations and get very close to one another and begin to make uh, uh, some, some maneuvers one way or another. They're, they're perhaps their most famous maneuver their signature stunt is the diamond 360 and you've got four planes stacked in a diamond and they're they're zooming across uh the 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 air above you as you're watching and they begin to do rollovers and they say that at their close closest moments when they're together their wingtips out that their wingtips are a mere 18 inches from the canopy of the plane next to them as they're making their maneuvers they are aligned so well with one another and here's the thing if just one of those planes is not in agreement there are gonna be serious consequences don't you know and i dare say that the same is true in the church when we as the body of christ supposed to be in unity one with another if we are not in agreement there will be serious consequences but of a spiritual kind we'll get out of alignment with one another I don't always like to bring up the past, but you know that 14 years ago next month, our church experienced a time when we were not in agreement. We had a major blow up. It was not pretty. Deeply divided us. You know, when churches have problems like that, it it comes from a lack of agreement. Uh, Different agendas arise, but also so do the the disagreements related to those. Now, I'm I'm so grateful we're not that church anymore. Uh, We are at peace. 
Let me tell you why we're at peace. This is a moment for me in my ministry, the greatest moment of peace in the life of my ministry after 33 years, where we are in this moment. Do you know why we are, in, we are where we are in our peace? It's because we are in agreement over the most important things. And we finally figured out what is most important. And we're not just in agreement about just any old thing. We are, are in agreement in the Lord. I've been in churches before that, uh, that, that have been in peace. They've been in agreement over peace. They had some kind of past trouble. They didn't want any more trouble, and so they made peace itself the greatest good. But friend, let me tell you that peace and unity aren't necessarily the same thing. We can have peace, but not unity. We can have peace, but not be in agreement. And so we need to pursue unity, not peace. Peace will come after that. We pursue unity, more specifically, unity or agreement in the Lord over His Word, over His gospel, over His mission. And so to, to agree in the Lord means that we put His will first, not what we want, not our preferences. We put His interests first, not our own. And if we will be in agreement with one another over what the Lord wants, we will be on our way to experiencing joy even when we're troubled by anxious moments. So we pursue unity by agreeing with one another. But there's another way that we pursue unity, and that is by partnering with unity. You see, unity doesn't come just by thinking the same way. It also comes from engaging the same way. Notice in verse 3, Paul's instruction there when he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women so paul's told them look I, I want you to encourage these two women to agree and he's saying look you help them do it be a part of the process be a team in this but notice how also paul uh, affirms their previous partnership there in verse three when he says who have labored side by side with me and then he talks about how they labor when he says we've been in the gospel together with clement as well as saying the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You know, Paul here with these words is telling, to, showing us and expressing to us how he understood the power of partnership in ministry. Can I tell you that what we are doing here is tough? Not just us as pastors. I'm talking about us as a family, as a church family. This work that we are engaging in together is not an easy endeavor. Ministry is tough. Following the Lord's will can be different. Uh, difficult walking in the lord it is not always an easy thing to do many times it's the most difficult pathway but when we engage in the walk with christ and in the work of christ with others together so we're not doing it as a solo event friend i'm telling you it lessens the anxiety of the difficulty of this work so we pursue unity by partnering with one another. We're in this together. It's not just my ministry. It is our ministry together in the Lord. So if we want to experience peace, no matter what, the first charge is to pursue unity. Let's be on the same page. Here's the second truth. We need to trust the Lord. If we want to experience peace no matter what, friend, it begins with really with our trust in Him. Uh, there's a Christian group by the name of Jars of Clay who wrote a song a few years ago that's it's just such a simple lyric that is just so true at least for me and it simply goes like this it's out of my hands and it was from the start isn't that simple but it's so profound it is out of my hands and it, it's been that way from the start it has always been a, 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 out of my hands 
And that's basically the story of my life. If you're honest, it's the story of your life as well. My life, my circumstances, as much as I think that I'm in control and can affect the outcome, ultimately it is outside of my hands and it's always been outside of my hands. And I have found that the more that I realize this, you know, the less worry that I seem to have over what's going on around me. I don't know if you're anxious over something, are you? Worried about a job situation, maybe worried about our economy, worried about your finances, maybe you've got a relationship struggle, or maybe you want there to be a relationship and there's not one and you're anxious over that, or maybe you're anxious over some health-related concern, or maybe you're just anxious over the future of the church in America. Friend, here's the challenge that, that we ought to embrace, and it ought to be normal for us, people of faith. We need to turn it over to the Lord. We just need to trust Him again with these things. Trust Him and trust that He's got it under control. I'm not saying that we don't do what we can do. Of course, the Lord calls us not to sit back, but to engage. But don't think and act as if it's all upon you and your actions. But realize that uh, that He is in control. Don't think that God can't affect your life situation. He is the factor and He is the equation. Paul clues us in on how to do that, how to demonstrate our trust in the Lord. No matter what, here's one way, by being joyful in Him. Look at verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is perhaps the theme verse of all of the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And Paul is saying here, as he's been saying throughout the book and will continue to say, that you can experience joy no matter what. No matter what you face, Christian, it is possible for you to experience this joy. Christians can and should rejoice always, not just when the going is good, not just when we feel good. When our joy is in Christ, we can rejoice even when things aren't going so well, when things are really bad, when we receive really bad news from the doctor or the the bank is threatening us uh, with foreclosing our home or when we have a a child who is in harm's way uh, on a battlefield far away. Why? Because we trust that the Lord is in control. So we trust Him by being joyful and demonstrating that every single day and rejoicing and rejoicing over and over again. Here's another way that we demonstrate our trust in the Lord and that is by being reasonable because of him look at verse 5 he says let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand what does it mean to be reasonable this this word actually means to be yielding to be gentle to be kind we're talking about someone who is being reasonable as one who is manifesting a a calm spirit no matter what the idea is that that you moderate your response to to trouble It's not to say that that you're not concerned about the trouble that comes upon you, but that you don't lose control, you don't overreact. In fact, you are under control because you know that God is ultimately control of the situation. You know, you can really tell much about a person's trust in the Lord by how they respond to a situation. I know that that can be a little hard for us to hear. I I know I'm going to make a bold assertion when I say this, But based upon how I see so many Christians responding to the news of the day, I I see fewer and fewer Christians truly trusting the Lord based on the example that they're they're presenting. And my assertion of this 
is based on how unreasonable Christians can be sometimes and how it seems that it's becoming more and more typical of so many Christians to be unreasonable than reasonable. And there are certain Christians who are not even known by their reasonableness, but by their unreasonableness. But listen, being unreasonable is a sign that, that things are out of control in your life and that you really don't trust the Lord to handle those certain things that you're dealing with. That you don't trust that the Lord has all things under control and it's being demonstrated, your lack of trust in Him is being demonstrated by your lack of being a reasonable person. So Christian, trust the Lord by being reasonable. But also, you can demonstrate it this way by being confident in Him. Now listen, we, we are Christians and we serve Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. And yet so many of us are not experiencing that peace because there's deep inside of us some kind of ongoing conflict that we're wrestling with and, and burdens are overwhelming us. So let me ask you, are you uh, bearing some great burden in your life, worried about something? I've articulated some of these already. Financial problems, marital problems, friendship breakdowns, work-related problems, problems with your children. Our worries over these things betray our confidence that our God has it. If you are so burdened over those things uh, that it is dominating your time, you're so anxious and you're not letting the Lord take captive every thought in your heart and your mind, uh, it, that excess of worry in your life is showing that you may not be trusting the Lord as you should. Well, you know what Paul says to us, the Lord says to us? Look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And notice there's not just a period there. He says, do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, don't worry. It's not, by the way, don't worry, be happy, right? It's don't worry, but pray. Pray to God. By praying, you're demonstrating that you do not have the ability to affect the outcome of your situation, of your life, but you're turning to someone who can. And so you do not be anxious. You're not worrying, but you're letting Him worry about these things, recognizing that He can handle these things. Of course, you may be thinking, well, that's easy for Paul to say. He's not going through what I'm going through right now. But again, as a reminder, remember the circumstances of Paul's own life. He was in prison. He was facing a trial that could lead to his ultimate execution. He may lose his very life. <clears throat> and yet he could say, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Be confident in what the Lord can do. That's because Paul found the secret to peace. And that secret is this. Cast all your cares upon him. Turn all of your worries over to him. Be confident in him. It's the idea that Paul captured, uh, that uh, Peter captured when he says, this is 1 Peter, I've already referenced it. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him. Do you know why? The Bible says because he cares for you. And the only way for you to cast all of your anxieties on him is to trust him by rejoicing no matter what, being, being reasonable in your behavior because that's a sign of your trust of him and not fearing. And if you'll do this, friend, I can't promise you that your problems are going to go away, but one thing I can promise you based on the scripture is you will find peace. In fact, Paul says that very thing, that when we trust the Lord 
and it's evident in our joy, our behavior, our reasonable behavior, our confidence that he can handle things. Look at what he says is a result in verse 7. He says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you may be wrestling with this idea of anxiety and you're like, I just can't get it out of my mind. This, this potential problem is upon me and I, can't, I cannot let it go. Go back to these, these commands. Rejoice. You may not feel like you want to rejoice in that moment, but your trust of the Lord is being demonstrated by the way that you rejoice and again rejoice and again rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. By not losing behavioral control, be reasonable. When you're demonstrating confidence in the Lord by just turning it over to Him, by praying to Him, not being anxious, I'm just going to pray, Lord, I'm going to hand it over to you. I know you have my best interest in mind, that you're going to work this out in accordance to your will that is in the best plan for me and my life. If you will do that, Paul says that the peace of God, that, that peace that passes all understanding, you cannot even explain it. it that peace will guard your hearts and your mind. In Christ Jesus. You see, God's incomprehensible peace can be yours if you trust Him. You know, I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not. Forgive me if I have before. I I don't believe I've shared this with you before, but um, there was a moment in my ministry, Jennifer and, and our ministry, in the very first church that I ever served. We saw explosive growth there, and uh, it was just a a blessed ministry. God helped us uh, in our ministry. We saw nearly a doubling of the attendance while we were there. We were at a very specific moment, a strategic moment in both our lives as well as the life of this church. We we began to sense that God was calling us elsewhere, and uh, it's hard to explain it. We just saw some restlessness in our soul in in, in those days, and but at the same time, our church was, had seen a lot of growth, and we had a major renovation project that, that really needed to happen. And we finally got back into this reno, through the, the conclusion of this renovation project. And as the day that we walked into the, to the, a, a renovated worship building for the first time, um, brand new everything in the room, there was probably not a, more dissen- dis, uh, dis, uh, a moment of dissension in the life of that church that, that we'd experienced in four years as high as that one. It was just crazy. It's supposed to have been a high moment for the church, and people didn't like anything. I don't know what, what they didn't like the color of the carpet and chandeliers and walls, etc., etc. The, the real challenge behind it all is that we had seen so much growth in the life of that church that the change was too much for some of our church members to handle. We, we didn't completely understand it at that moment. Um, but something happened that day that we weren't anticipating. Um, but in, in a moment, we, Jennifer, in the middle of that day, in the middle of the Sunday school hour, we, we walked out to our car. She had dealt with some people complaining on one side of the property, and I was dealing with some folks on another side of the property, and we were just feeling all just horrible. In this moment, should have been a high moment for the church. We felt all horrible. We walked out to our car and uh, got in the car, because the only place in the property, a small church building, the only place we could get alone, and we began to pray together about how we helped this church shepherd through this this moment and uh, we realized in that moment that that the Lord was calling us to resign that day as crazy as that may sound you may have been hearing this for the first time I don't normally make decisions quickly like that but we we prayed about that and 
in a moment, I don't know, Jen, you, you, you remember that moment, just the two of us there in the Lord. And, and when we realized that we were supposed to resign that day, and by resigning it would bring peace to the church and it would allow another pastor to come, knowing that God was leading us elsewhere, not yet knowing where we were going to go. We, we, we were in talks with another church, but we didn't, it wasn't settled. We prayed and had the peace of God come upon us when we said this is what we're supposed to do. And that may sound crazy to you because it's Jennifer and me and we've got a baby and we don't have a lot of money. It was a small, a small church, not a lot of income. We didn't have a lot of money in the bank. We didn't know what was going to happen next. But I cannot express to you there being another moment saved the moment when I asked Jesus to come into my heart where I had greater sense of peace over decision in that moment. And it was, it was just, uh, even to this day, it resonates in my heart and in my mind. And yet we believe that in that moment that our lives, our ministry, our future was not in our hands, but it was in the Lord's hands, wasn't it, honey? We knew that, we believed that, that God was in control and we had the peace of God. Now, I'm not saying that what happened for us is what would ha- a similar thing would happen for you, but my point is this, that when you trust the Lord, when you realize that your life your family, your future, everything about you rests in God's hands and that He is in control and you just hand it over to Him. There is something about the peace of God that comes from that. And I promise you, friend, when you live your life that, you can have that kind of peace too by putting your greater confidence in Him than in anything else. Last point. If we're going to experience the peace of God no matter what, in addition to pursuing unity and trusting the Lord, here's the third and final thing. We need to focus on the good. Focus on the good. Now that should go without saying. I mean, if you're trusting the Lord, you believe that He knows what's best for you, He knows what's best for your family, uh, that He will do what's best for you, He will do what's best for your family. And so if you remain focused with that mind in mind, that the focusing on the good, that, that in the face of whatever challenges you that you face, that... It's going to be evident in the way that you think. It's going to be evident in the way that you act. And that's why we want to focus on the good instead of dwelling upon the potential bad. And here's how we do that. If we're going to focus on the good, how we do that is, one, by thinking on good things. Listen, I'm not here to just, I'm not going to give you a very shallow position on, you know, the power of positive uh, thinking, all right? But I do want you to note that Paul gives that very idea of thinking on good things in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's a pretty comprehensive list here. Paul says to think upon these things. I mean, this, this group of Christians in Philippi, they were the outsiders in the community. There was some persecution going on. There was outside pressures. There were inside pressures. There was a lot that they could have focused on that was of the negative. A lot of things to worry about. A lot of things to whine about. A lot of things to complain about. But Paul says, don't worry about those kind of things. Don't focus upon these things. Here are the things that you need to think about. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. I could go through each of these words on this entire list and define these words for you, but I don't have to. 
You understand what these words mean. You know that these things are what they are. These are good things, noble things. And Paul says, if you're going to think about anything, think about these things. That word think, that means to reflect upon, to ponder on, to let your mind dwell upon. Now why in the world would Paul charge us to think about good things? The reason is obvious. It's because it will impact whether you're experiencing peace or not. Are you overly anxious of, uh, these days? If so, what are you spending your time thinking about? Seriously, brother and sister. Some of you may know, have noticed that uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time um, on Facebook. I just don't. I used to. I, I'm on social media somewhat, but I, I bailed on Facebook about six years ago. And here's a reason why. Facebook has this algorithm and it sort of is watching what you're looking at and, 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 and what you're posting and who you're interacting with. And, and so Facebook operates on, on algorithms. And the, uh, the more that you focus on a thing, the more things pop into your news feed that's, that's like what, you, what you've been drawn to. It's sort of like, a, I call it a social media crack. You know, you're just sort of drawn into it and you can't let go of it. And I began to notice about six years ago uh, that the, 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 the items that I was looking at on Facebook sort of were, were less than than uh, positive things and it kept going deeper and darker and and the content kept going that way all of it designed to keep you engaged and by the way we as human beings you know we we like a good car wreck believe it or not as long as we're not in it we, we slow down and look at it right and so when bad things are happening we want to slow down and take a really good look at it it's sort of the sin nature uh, working its way out of us and I began to realize about six years ago that the negativity that I was experiencing on that particular social media platform was getting to me. And when I finally realized that, that's when I bailed on it. Now, I'm not saying that you need to do the same. That was for me. But guess what happened when I did that? As I began to dwell, uh, because in the absence of all this negativity, uh, I began to dwell on more positive things, on good things. And I be immediately began to sense less anxiety and more peace in my life. See, focusing on the good doesn't mean that, that we're oblivious to what's going on in the world, but it does mean that we don't let the bad in the world and the bad that could happen to us and that we're dealing with to dominate our minds all the time. But friend, thinking on the good is not all we need to do. We also focus on the good, yes, by thinking on the good, but also by practicing good things, by putting to practice the good that we know. Look at verse 9. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. Whatever it is that you've seen from me, pretty much Paul's talking about discipleship here. The things that they've been taught, how they're to live, the, the word of God has been poured into them. He said, all these things that we've been pouring into you, it's not just for head knowledge. You need to practice these things. And if you do it, he says that the God of peace will be with you. So think about all of these good things, but also practice these things. Think positively on the good things, but also act positively on the good you know to do. Here's Paul is pretty much summarizing what the, what the Christian life ought to be. If we will think upon the things of God, true things and honorable things and just things and pure things and lovely things and commendable things and excellent things and praiseworthy things, and if we'll take these things that we're thinking about and live them out by practicing them, then and only then the peace of God will be with us. So how is it 
possible for us to do what Jesus taught and, and what he gave, what was given to us and spoken to us and demonstrated to us, it is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Simply put. And when and only when we have this relationship will you ever have ultimate peace. As Jesus once said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. All right. Put up your money time right here. Do you have peace? Christian, let's get real. In the last seven days of your life, since the last time we've met together, how much of your life has been dominated by anxiety versus how much of it has been dominated by the peace of God? Christian, if you're wrestling with this, it's gut check time. It's time to recognize that the things that you're dwelling upon, the things that you're focusing upon, it's time to shift the way that you're thinking. Maybe part of the reason why you're not experiencing peace inwardly in your life, the peace of God, is because you've not pursued unity with a brother or sister in Christ that you know needs to get reconciled, that broken relationship, and you just haven't done it. And it could be, friend, that you will not experience the peace that the Lord wants for you until you pursue that unity that you should have taken care of a long, long time ago. It's time for brothers and sisters in Christ, to get in agreement with one another again or be in agreement in the, in the pursuit of the mission. Or maybe the issue is that simply you just need to start trusting the Lord again. You trust Him with your salvation. It's time to trust Him with everything else. It's time to start rejoicing. Even though you don't feel like it, start rejoicing. It's time to start tempering your behavior to demonstrate that you trust in Him. It's time to start leaning upon him and showing that you have confidence in him and that though you may not sense that things are going to get better in the, in the immediate time frame, that God has this in control. It's time to be the people God's called us to be. So I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads with me and I want to just pray for you, church. And then I want to have a word for those who have yet to trust Christ. Lord, I'm going to pray right now in this moment that your peace will begin to prevail among your people. I'm grateful for the unity that we've been experiencing these last many years, Lord. And I know, Lord, it's, it's true. We'll have our moments as, as a people. It, it, you know, as you get one or more people in a room, Lord, you're going to find some disagreement. Lord, as we seek to uh, unity and find peace by being in agreement in you, by partnering in you, Lord, we pray for peace to continue to prevail among the body known as First Baptist Church. But Lord, we also want your peace to reign in the hearts of our people to a person. And for those who are wrestling with anxiety, and it may not be a new struggle, it may be a lifelong struggle. Lord, you know who's struggling most and who needs uh, th th your greater attention. I pray, Lord, that they truly are able, as Peter tells us, to cast all their cares upon you because you care for them. And so, Lord, let them begin to find that and let them start leaning into trust again and be able to say with confidence, Lord, you have this. Give me your peace. And so, Lord, I, I also pray that you encourage us to focus on the good in a world where the world seems to, to be getting a high off of controversy and division and strife. Let the people of God Think about the good and practice the good. Let us be 
a, a demonstrable, stark difference from the rest of the world because, Lord, we are not like the rest of the world in that we have hope in you. We know the outcomes. And so let us think and live with that outcome in mind and do so before a lost and dying world. And Lord, I also pray for those in this room who do not yet know you. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, even in this moment, will not give them peace. In fact, Lord, I pray that you make their spirits very uneasy at this very moment. That your Holy Spirit convict them and help them to see that there will never be peace in their life or in the life that is to come until they surrender their all to you. Give them the anxiety that will draw them to you today. And then, Lord, and only then, as they surrender their all to you and lean into you and trust you, will they finally find the peace that passes all understanding. So we pray and we ask that for them in Jesus' name. Amen.